as we look through the study today, I'm going to ask a question that is not necessarily, but it'll bring the topic to the forefront of your mind. Have you ever had life plans suddenly change on you? Just like out of nowhere. You, you are on course perhaps, or maybe you're not, but anyway, you're just, you kind of get your bearings and then just seems to come apart. There's disruption, there's sleeplessness, restless, worrisome, anxious, uncertain, too much unknown. Do you know the Bible actually speaks about that? Presents that time and time again. We looked last week at Mary, you know, um, Mary, this beautiful teenager, this young girl, was told by an angel that she would carry the, the, the Christ child, the, the Messiah, the anointed one. And, and as a young girl, a young woman in Israel, aware of their heritage, aware of the prophecy, aware of what the scripture says, many kind of, like, oh, I hope I'm the one, that was so neat. You know, it was really more of this like way out there thing. Well, here she is told she's the one. It's an amazing privilege. It's, it's exciting. Um, it's just not really how she thought life would go, right? I mean, it's one thing to think about it, like off over there, but to, to, to realize this is how it's going to go. And even then, it, it wasn't all that, that one would maybe perceive or think it would be. Can we agree? Because I, I would suggest to you she had a very tough life. She had a very tough life. If you were to look from the outside and look upon her life, you would probably be drawn into a lot of the criticism, a lot of the gossip, a lot of the really shameful things that were said about her. Her life didn't unfold the way she thought it was going to go. But man, what a blessing. What an amazing thing that was happening in her life. Her husband, Joseph, we know Joseph by his lifestyle, by the way he deals with things, um, because he is also the, the person that will be a part of, the, of, of God in human form, the Messiah child, Jesus, being raised by human parents. He's the one. And you know what? He, I believe he wanted to honor God. I believe he wanted to live a good life. I believe like most men, he wanted to, to, if he has a family, he wants to raise a family, have a good reputation, be a good carpenter, and do life. This was not what he anticipated. It wasn't in his life plan. It was a little difficult, for sure. So we're going to look at this, this story out of Matthew chapter 1. And we're going to look from verse 18 to 25, and we're going to pull it apart. And I think we can see things that are beautiful within the story. I love that you and I, so many of us, were familiar with the story. But it's got to be street level, too. There's got to be some practical understanding that we can put the principles into place. And by the power of God, through the person of the Holy Spirit, we can walk in such a way that glorifies God. Our lives will be reflective of love for the Savior. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, as a culture. We, we do have familiarity, whether it's just from certain practices or songs or poems or whatever it may be in the secular realm. But even so, Lord, you have allowed your word to be preserved in our nation. We're able to look upon it freely. We're able to ponder and consider it. And so, Lord, we just thank you.
that we are aware of the Christmas story of what you've done. And yet, God, in, in the midst of our awareness and what's familiar, we know we, we would like to look deeper still, to have a, a greater familiarity and understanding of what it was like so that we could be impacted, that we would be open, that individually we would even consider how you would lead our lives and what you would do in our own personal lives to bring glory to your name. And so, Lord, walk us through the words today. Teach us, I would ask, that we would know and understand these beautiful truths, that we would walk close with you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, let me, because we're going to start in verse 18, let me give you a little context in regards to Matthew. Matthew, a former tax collector, um, real good note taker. That's all you need to say there. Uh, comes into this relationship with Jesus, gets to know him. He now records um, verses, uh, start beginning in chapter 1, verse 1, and on, on, on down. He's declaring that Jesus is the fulfillment of prophecy concerning the Messiah. So he, he's making known why he's writing. He's the son of David, the son of Abraham, and he's bringing, out, bringing forth these, these, these uh, truths out of what we call the Old Testament. In verses 2 through 17, he gives the relevant genealogy from Abraham to Jesus through Joseph. Joseph was not the biological father we know. He was, in a sense, presented, if you would, the legal father as a, 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 the man to give. Um, he was like foster dad. So Jesus would be Joseph's foster child, stepchild because a foster or a step refers to taking care of a child that's not your biological child. So that's really, in, in today's language, that's the terms that, you know, we, we see Joseph, he's, he's living under. So we, we're given the relevant genealogy. It's not meant to be complete in, in all of it. It's the relevant genealogy in regards to uh, the, uh, the genealogy from Abraham to Jesus. With that, let's begin in verse 18 of Matthew chapter 1. We'll read through verse 25, and then it will come back and just kind of pull out some principles that I believe apply um, not only historically, but contemporarily. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother, Mary, was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated, God with us. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife and did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. All right, as we begin the study, we already got a little bit of the background. I presented some of it even last week about this relationship between Mary and Joseph. 
they're in a betrothal period. So we, in our culture, we have engagement, which is kind of introduction. They had, before the ceremony, they had this betrothal period, which is really a very serious, a very committed time. It's about a year long. Uh, to break it, you literally would have to get a divorce decree. I mean, it was that much of a commitment. So they're in this relationship, and there's a problem. What's the problem? Mary's pregnant. And we call that functionally, relationally, a problem. Correct? Because just be real. Here's Joseph. He has, we know, been seeking the Lord. We know from his character. We know some other things about you know him as a son of, uh, in the family line, the son of David. We know, I, I believe he's very serious about his spiritual life. I believe he made choices. I believe he, he got to know Mary. I mean, there was a lot there. But then she's pregnant. And everything that he founded everything on is now just disrupted. Agreed? Because here, how do I work this out? How do I deal with this? This is a serious issue. This is going to create some communication problems. It is interesting for minds like mine. I don't know that that's a compliment. But in, in minds like mine, to think, how, how did that go? How did she tell Joseph her current situation? How did that unfold? I don't know. We, we're not really told, but it, it definitely caused you to go, man, that would have been an interesting conversation to bring up. Hey, um, I did want to mention something to you. Weird hang happened on the way back from Walmart. It's <laughs> like, how do you explain? I, I, I've been chosen. I don't know how this unfolded, but an angel spoke to me, and I'm, I'm going to be the one to birth the, the Messiah. I'm pregnant. And all Joseph heard was, I'm pregnant. So, I mean, because men, we were like, there's something that's more overwhelming. You know, like, oh, what does this mean? This is a very serious issue that they're going to work through. And I love that we can look at how it's worked through, at least in the life of Joseph. Because for them, for you, for all of us, life gravitates from simplicity to complexity. Agreed? It was real simple. You opened a present. You're two years old. You went and you put the train on the track and you love life. I got to watch our, our grandson yesterday play with the little train track for like four hours. He is all boy. <laughs> he, it was just, it was just, life is simple. But you know, it, it goes from simplicity to complexity. Not only in maturity, but in relationships, in vocation. And all these other areas. And so what we have here in the midst of plans and, and dreams and godly thoughts and aspirations, c- complexity comes in like a flood rising up all around you. So here is they're trying to do the right thing. They know what they're doing. And then this thing comes in. And so I want to just go through this study a little bit. And I want to reference you know, four things as we go through from this text. And I look at it as advice from those you can look up to. Can we agree that these are two figures in Scripture with our focus upon Joseph today? We can learn from this. And the one thing I would say in your plans and your aspirations in this season of your life, no matter what's going on, leave room for God. Leave room for God. See, they were God seekers. They were true seekers. They really, their life spoke of it. Um, and so as they're seeking, then, then something bigger than what they would even imagine is now upon them. 
and they, they do have this thing to work out. Mary and Joseph have been faithful. We know they're humble. They're open to what God would do in their life. But unknown to them, God has a bigger plan for them than they would have even thought possible. There's something bigger than they would have imagined. How does Joseph deal with this? How does he leave room for God? We'll look in verse 19. Joseph, her husband, being a just man. So just there speaking of fair and equitable. So he was a fair, equitable man. He thought things through, as, we, as even, we're even told. He thought about it. And what I would suggest to you, and I think you can see as well, Joseph could see the people in the midst of the problem. His concern, we know, was for Mary. Legally, he knew what to do. He was aware of what should take place. To not only honor the cultural uh, process and an establishment for the, you know for marriage, but just did deal with the individual situation. He knew what needed to be done in a legal sense, but he had a much more heavy burden on his heart. What do I do in the sense of love? What do I do? How do I deal with this? And I would just suggest to you, don't let the problem blind you to the people. Sometimes the problem is so big you can't see the people. Correct. We see, oh, man, we got to do this, and this has got to happen, and we can get really functionally wound up instead of just like, okay, I can just need to stop for a little bit and just, you know, let compassion simmer in your heart, calm your mind, let mercy, love, forgiveness have its place to kind of mix in and stir through. To be, if you would, patient yet persistent. Be patient, thoughtful in the midst of problems. Men, I know as you would consider this, if even to somehow, to some measure, man, if I was going through something like that, how would I deal with it? Because you just got to be aware. Just sometimes it's just really good to shut up. Is that too crude in church? It's good to be swift to hear and slow to speak for the wrath of Dan or the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And so you can agree, I think, when some problems develop and things kind of just go a lot of emotion, it's just really good to not talk yet. Because you want to choose your words carefully, for you may be eating them later. There's a point where it's just like, okay, I'm just going to... And we know Joseph was fair and equitable, and he, he thought about it. His concern was for his Wife, as you see, listed as a husband, because culturally they've seen it was just the process. Maybe we could also agree that Joseph was more concerned about his relationship with God than the opinions of men. I believe he was well-respected as a businessman. Um, The type of work he did as a carpenter, you didn't order your wood supplies in, coming in all flat good or planed out. You went and found them, and you you took it from a tree to to a finished product, whether it's an implement for agriculture, farming, plow, or whether it's a piece of furniture. What he made, it was a lot of hands-on stuff and a lot of hard work, and I believe he was was recognized. I believe he was was well thought of within his community, and now he's got to think, I can't be bothered what everybody else will say. I've got to be concerned about this, about Mary. So we see, not only are we told that he... He didn't want to make a public example. He, he thought, you know, maybe I can do it this way. Have you ever had a plan? 
that you know is a bad plan, but you still plan on using that plan, and you realize I shouldn't plan on this. <laughs> Sometimes we don't stop. We just need to hit pause. Okay, maybe this is not a good idea. I want to do this. But no, I'm going to do this. So he pauses. He lets it kind of ruminate, if you would. And we're told in verse 20, while he thought about these things, which I believe gives us reason to believe he was patient. While he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. And then goes on to speak to him and, and say to him, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. That angel verifies what she's told him. But I hope you've seen something there. It's a glimpse of what we deal with that we hide as men too frequently. We're told there in verse 20, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Because there was some apprehension, some reservation. Naturally, understandably, there was some fear welling up. Man, what am I, if I do this, what's going to... And he said, listen, don't be afraid. What Mary has said about the divine presence of God bringing this about is true. And I think it's interesting, don't you, that who speaks to him? I mean, I, I'm thinking he's worthy of, a, of a, a visit from Gabriel. You know, he's a top-notch angel. Well, you think he could show up in person? A little Michael, the archangel, could come in and at least spend a little time putting his mind at ease. But he, he actually gets the word from an angel during a dream. It's just crazy to me. But it's interesting because it was enough to calm him. He received it. You would receive it. I would receive it, I tell myself. If I'm out in the desert and the bush lights up and starts burning and starts talking to me, like, oh, I can pay attention now. I don't trust my dreams. Do you trust yours? I don't trust them. I don't know. They're just too weird. I don't, I've never finished a dream in my life. They're all fractured pieces and parts. And I wake up and like, that was weird. Kim goes, what was it about? Like, how much time you got? But there was something unique. This was something as a a God-directed dream. This wasn't just appetite-related or bad food or overthinking or too much caffeine. This was just real simple. God chose to speak to Joseph at a time that was best for Joseph. And he spoke truth to him. Listen, this is, don't be afraid. What's been told is true, and it's going to unfold. It's going to come about. Joseph received the word of God. I believe for men, I believe in our culture, I believe we're at a time when there's a great need for this in our lives individually. That as men, we'd understand our role in our society and our culture. There is an aggressive attack on the very fabric of society. The very, there's an aggressive, demonic attack on the core makeup of what we call family. And you know this. Maybe you haven't thought of it in those terms. You can't deny it. There is an aggressive attack to break down families, interrupt society, and demean men. It's interesting. You know, the, for, for a man, as we know biblically, as a man to lead a family... A man to be kind and compassionate, yet definitive, a decision maker, one who serves his family and and, and takes the lead, you're ridiculed. You're treated as some overbearing person who is stuck on yourself and you're just all, I mean, there's a lot of criticism. This is not my opinion. I'm not pouting. I just know the world we live in. You know it. You see it. 
Do you not see what Hollywood produces? What type of sitcom, what type of movie, what type of, you know, advertisements are present? Have you noticed to make the grade to be in one of those advertisements or productions, you got to be a really weak feminine man, which is contrary to God's very design. Let's not confuse muscles and testosterone with biblical godliness. Let's realize there's a role, and the society you and I live in is, is undermining the biblical parameters, the framework, the foundation for what a man is to be. And men, I can just say from looking at this life with Joseph and, and all of us, these are principles that can be applied regardless of whether it's a man or a woman, but some of these things are unique. In our culture, in your life right now, there's a need to receive, believe, and respond. Receive the word of God, believe it's the word of God, and respond to it as a personal word from God. Joseph, in his life, much like you, he wanted to do right. I believe he wanted to honor God, as mentioned. Live a good life, raise a family, have a good reputation, be a good carpenter. But Joseph has had an encounter, an invitation, a point in his life where God says, hey, this is, this is, this is what I would invite you to be a part of. This is what I invite you to do. He received the word of God, which wasn't easy to do. But yet there was enough clarity for him personally. Okay, I, I, it's, just, it's just legit. He believed the word, so not only did he receive it, he, it was opened up. He believed it, and he responded to the word of God. And I believe it's a, those three things are so important for us as men, to have a sensitivity, according to what the Bible says, to have a, an ear to hear what the Spirit says, have a heart to serve family and community, and, and be beyond, get beyond our own perceptions about what success is, and understand what God describes, what God says. Because let's just be honest. Doing the right thing can be a scary thing. Doing the right thing can be a scary thing. There's reason to be afraid. There's a lot in the society that, that can stir up a lot of confusion. What will people say? Well, what will they say about me? What will they say about us as a family? What will they say about this situation? What will they say about God? I would say, present to you the second point. Lean upon God. Lean upon God. Leave room for God. Lean upon God. Uh, my reference for that and for clarity would be out of Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your steps, your paths. Who do we learn to lean on? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding in all your ways. Learn to lean upon God. Let's go back to chapter 1 of Matthew in verse 21. We see, she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Jesus, Joshua, uh, from the Old Testament, the word uh, Jehovah is salvation. What's being told to Joseph and, and presented to you and I and, and held as an essential truth to understand our need He says that he will save his people from their sins. God's plan for salvation was written before creation. In Genesis 1, we have creation. We have the the introduction. And when there was this, uh, some would see it as an assimilation of of taking matter and bringing it into form. Uh, Some see it as just the time he formed the universe. 
But even before that, for God is eternal, in his mind, he's always loved the church. He has always loved the church. He has always loved his people. This plan of salvation is not a backup plan because mankind messed up God's original plan. He's always had this plan. It's so important that we understand that because sometimes we do think that, right? It's like, well, why did he create us that way in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve when they can just, they just totally mess it up? And then he had to bust out the alternate plan. No, actually, it was all in place. It was all in place. It's not a response to man's failure. It's a reflection of God's faithfulness. We see God is just like, this is, this is how it is. And Jesus is actually a fulfillment. You know? So I guess I would say in verse 21, just be a part of a bigger plan, his plan. I have plans and aspirations and thoughts for my life and for my family, but I really want to be a part of a bigger plan. Because I think there's reason for us to can look to that and entertain that. Verse 22 and 23 are a fulfillment of Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. It's why that's the verse that is quoted and presented. What we celebrate at this time of year, what you and I experience every day of the year as followers of Jesus Christ, what Mary and Joseph were a part of, all of this, is a fulfillment of God's word to us. Emmanuel, God with us. It's actually super hard to wrap your mind around, to to live out in a practical day-to-day sense. Agreed? That God is with you. We get it when we get to church and show up at a gathering and have songs of worship and and look at his word, and there's just something in our mind that's easy. Okay, I hear from the Lord. He doesn't leave you when you walk out the door. He's always with you, God with us. It's a fulfillment of prophecy. And I don't know, we just sometimes just don't stop and think, I'm living in days, you're living in an age. It's a fulfillment of what God said, I will be with you. All of this that we know is the Christmas story, our lives as born-again Christians, they're all, this was all set in motion by the love of God. It's really, really important that we realize it's not God's response to man's failure. It's a revelation of, man, of God's faithfulness. He has always loved us. He continues to love us. Verse 24, we see Joseph receiving comfort and instruction. It says in verse 24, Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. It's pretty pretty clear, pretty concise, isn't it? He woke up. I'm going to do it. This is it. He, he accepted it. He believed it. He responded. How could he have such clarity? Why, why is it so easy to respond with obedience in his life right here? I would suggest to you, in a practical sense, Obedience is easier when you're close to the master. When there's a greater sense of like focus, if you would, when you're closer. This is true. You can, the principle is true relationally in a lot of ways. Kids respond better when they hear clearly what mom or dad have to say. When it's passed along by a sibling, there's a breakdown in communication. There's a lack of clarity. There's a manipulation sometimes. But when you're close... You get it, right? When you're right there, you hear what's said. You hear. That's why I'm glad God doesn't text. Because there's too much room for interpretation. Is he mad at me? Does he love me? What's the emphasis on the text? We don't know. That's why we all know text is not, should not be your primary option. It's a great way to say, I'll meet you at the restaurant at 6.30. That's about all it's good for, in my opinion. And don't send emails and call them texts. They're too long. That's my little rant. 
got it out of the way. Social media is my thought. Anyway, you see what I'm saying. Obedience is easier when you're close. When you're there, he, I mean, here's this point in their life that Joseph, Joseph arrived at. He didn't even get to schedule it in his day planner. He just, that just happened. It was an event in his life. And he's like, okay, I'm going to do this. I know I've heard from God. I know this from the word of God. I'm, I'm going to, I'm, I'm clear. Obedience is easier when you're close to the master. Obedience is difficult when you're focused on the possible problems. Agreed? Okay, I'm going to do this. But then, but what if that? But then if I don't have the money for this? But then if that happens? But if this took place? And then all of a sudden, guess what? Cranial confusion that interferes with the obedience. It's really important to just stay close. He stayed close. And according to verse 25, it happened exactly as God said it would. It happened. He told Joseph what's going to unfold, and it happened exactly as it was said. So one more point for advice from those you can look up to. First, we looked at leave room for God. Lean upon God. Learn as you go. Learn as you go. He's learning. He's seeing God's faithfulness. The word confirmed. He's realizing, okay, one step at a time. Joseph and Mary do not have it all figured out. We understand that. There will be many joys and many challenges in the days to come. When we first started on this story, he's been told, hey, listen, your wife is going to have a child, but don't freak out about it because this is what's going down. This is what's going to happen. And so we know that did happen. It's, it's, we're told that, that, he, he, that he brought forth her firstborn son. We know the details around that. There's many challenges. Faith is a gift that's to be opened and lived out. Faith is a gift that's opened to be opened and lived out. By faith, Mary and Joseph are moving along. They're moving forward. And every day there's an opportunity for faith to grow. So by faith, we draw nearer to God. By faith, they're drawing nearer to God, believing what he said is going to unfold. It's really interesting because it's repeated several times in Scripture from the Old Testament, even in the New New Testament. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. To the humble that will seek him, he pours this unmerited favor upon them. Those who are resistant, he basically is kind of like, okay, I can't pour grace on you because you think it's all you. You're proud, and you think you can make this happen. So now when you run out of energy, I can infuse divine energy into you called grace, unmerited favor. And he can pour that upon the humble. I believe they experienced it. Joseph is going to learn a lot about faithfulness in his own life and faith, the faithfulness of God in the years to come. You know the story. Because of a lunatic ruler, functionally, they are forced to travel um, 80 miles at least a four-day journey to Bethlehem. So you as a man, I think you can relate to this. Okay, this is what I'm to do. Now this lunatic Augustus, secular leader, requires that we go to Bethlehem. So I go to the, my, my historical hometown, so to speak. So here they go. She's pregnant. She's like real pregnant. Like, not like pretend pregnant. Or she's real. She's nine months. All right. She's waddle time. She's going to go now 80 miles. I don't think there was a donkey involved myself. They were very poor. They get to Bethlehem. So here's dad. I mean, here's 
the, the foster dad and his wonderful wife, and he's fulfilling his call on life. And he gets there, it's like, great, Motel 6 was full. Every place of lodging is full. You now have to, as a man, provide for your, your wife and this child. But there's nothing you can do. There's no place available. And now you're there, you know, you're, you just be real. I'm working through, following, living by faith. And now I'm here and everything is against me. There's nothing. Oh, someone tells you, well, we got some sheep and cattle over there, kind of tucked into a little bit of a, a rock wall, kind of a cave. You can have that place if you want for chump change. So all you end up with was a, was a livery stable. You end up with this, this place, and that's where your wife is going to deliver this child. Are you Men, be honest. How are you doing with this? God has given you the responsibility to provide for your family and your dependent wife in the dire times, you can't even give her anything. I know what it does. I know what most men go through. This is like debilitating. Or it's the potential to say, God, I have no clue what to do. And the best point a guy can be at is when he realizes, God, I have not, I, I, I have no clue what to do, but I know you have me here. I know you have placed me here. I know this is what you would have me to do. I need you. I need help. Too many men don't get to that spot. Okay, well, I'll tell you what. I'll see if, hey, Uncle Bob, could you, could you send me a check? Hey, is, is, you know, Cousin Fred still on that hotel outside of Bethlehem? We'll go there. You know, yeah, you exhaust your resources, but get, get a load of this. God has to provide. Men, God has to provide. You have to, we have to learn to lean upon Him and trust Him. Mary and Joseph are going through a really tough time. And this is a test of faith for Joseph. Can we agree? That he does very well at. He doesn't punch a shepherd when they show up. He doesn't go off. He just like, okay, man, I'm so learning so much right now. I feel like I can't do anything, but I see you providing everything. It doesn't stop there. So the baby Jesus is born. The, the, the wise men weren't there. They show up at a house possibly two years later, up to. Herod the king put a hit on your stepchild. Herod the king, the secular ruler of that day, has a, a contract on your child to kill him. And you have to now leave. You have to relocate. Because he's the, the, this foster child of yours, life's threatened. Is, does it seem like God's leading your life? Doesn't it seem like, man, this is really coming apart? And it, it doesn't stop there. He has to relocate. And according, according to Matthew chapter 2, you can look at the later verses 19 and 22, he has to relocate again. And as and, 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 and he goes through life and he's learning how to do this and learning how to, to trust God and, and look at God, we pick up in Luke chapter 2. We, we want to read this portion. It, Jesus is 12 years old now. So certainly, I mean, you just, just give the guy a break. He's had a decade to take care of his son, the son of God. <laughs> okay, so he, he's getting to figure it out, right? Well, Luke chapter 2, verse 41. Mary and Joseph went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of the Passover. And when Jesus was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem according to the custom of the feast. 
When they had finished the days, as they returned, the boy Jesus lingered behind in Jerusalem. And Joseph and his mother did not know it. But supposing him to have been in the company, they went a day's journey and sought him among their relatives and acquaintances. So when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem seeking him. Now it was so that after three days they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. So when they saw Jesus, they were amazed. And then Mary said to him, Son, why have you done this to us? Look, Joseph and I have sought you anxiously. And he said to them, Why did you seek me? Do you not know that I must be about my father's business? But they did not understand the statements which he spoke to them. So let me just give you a really simple rundown on that. They lost Jesus. They lost this child that their whole life is shaped around for the last 12 years. They misplaced the Messiah. And so they're like, but did you notice that there's some things there that routine have caused it to maybe just be kind of routine, raising a family? But interestingly enough, okay, well, we're going to head back a day into the journey. He's like, where's Jesus? I think he's over there with Malachi. Oh, he's hanging out with this guy. So you check with the uncles and the cousins like, yeah, he ain't there. So you've traveled a day. You travel back a day. And you spend roughly another day looking for him because it was three days. Now, I, I can only try to imagine how Mary's tone of voice was. When she approached Jesus and said... Why have you done this to us? Maybe she's pretty cool and calm and collected. I don't know. My mom wasn't. I know of more than one mom who's had to look for their children in the mall or the store because the little three or four or five-year-old decided it would be cool to hide in the clothing rack. Just talk away and then listen to like an Amber Alert or something. You know what I'm saying? Like, okay. And, and then they step out and key. And mom's not like, oh, if I find them, I'll kill them. You know, it's just like there's an interesting thing. But it's really, I, I just look at this and go, man, how did they process this? How did they work this out? But notice this. They, they, they're working this thing through. They're learning. But notice in verse 50, they still didn't understand God's plan for their life. They still are learning as they go. They did not understand the statement which Jesus spoke to him. It's a real simple statement. He's 12 years old in that culture. I won't get into it, but that's, it's, you know, he's, he's a young man functionally. Teenage thing is something that's more contemporary. But anyway, so here's this young man. And where's he at? At his father's house. For his father is God. Joseph is his stepfather. And so they didn't understand what he was saying, but it's obvious for you and I to look at it, agreed? But in that moment, they're like, man, we didn't understand. So I want to encourage you, in the midst of living out miracles, and I believe many, well, Scripture shows us many, for over 12 years, Mary and Joseph still did not fully understand what God's plan was. But they believed. But they believed, because we know Mary's there in the book of Acts, there in the upper room, and we know Mary at the cross looking upon her son. We know Mary is, is pondering all these things. The last point I would just say in regards to all this, in regards to the challenges and trials, live for the glory of God.
live for the glory of God. It says in John 16, verse 33, Jesus talking to his disciples and saying to them, These things I've spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Learning to, in the midst of trials and struggles and various things you, you deal with, I deal with, and hard things that really no one can understand. But God, God understands. They chose to believe. Let's just do a quick review and wrap it up here. Advice from those who you can look up to. Leave room for God. Leave room for God. Joseph could not or could see the people in the midst of the problem. Learn to have that view. Man, I want to exhort you. Learn to have that view. Don't be spontaneous. Learn to see the people. Don't let the problem blind you of the people. When there's a family fix or a need to be taken care of, back away and see the people first. Second thing we considered is lean upon God out of Proverbs 3. Lean upon God. Because obedience is easier when you're close to the master. Third thing we've seen from this particular study, ultimately, learn as you go. Learn as you go. Because you've been given the ability to believe. You've been given a gift of faith, according to Romans 12. Faith is a gift. It's to be opened up and lived out. It's literally a gift. We open presents at this time of year. This gift of faith is to be opened and lived out in your life. Every day, there is opportunity for your faith to grow. Every single day. So I want to encourage you, by faith, draw near to God. Lastly, fourth point, live for the glory of God. Don't let your plans interfere with his invitation. I believe God's inviting all of us into a closer walk with him, to a greater understanding of his presence, to a knowledge of his love, to a practical living out of this love. And so I don't want to have my plans interrupt or even interfere with that invitation. And it's very personal. It's very intimate. What the details are in my life would be different in your life. And just like the one sitting next to you, it would be different. He will bring a family together. He'll bring people together. But you understand it's a very personal thing. So I would say just be willing to be a part of a bigger plan. Because God's plan for you is better than your plans. Can we agree with that? I am so glad. There are so many times I'm so glad God did not answer my prayer the way I petitioned him. He didn't answer the way I'd requested. And I look back and go, oops, thank you that you did not you know, listen to that exhortation and that King James pleading of mine. Oh, thank you, God, that you knew much better. Man, it's so wonderful. So with that, uh, Greg, come back up and lead us in a song together. We're going to close with a consideration of Second Peter 3. If you want to stand with me, we'll bring that up on projection. Greg and Caden come up to lead us in worship together. Let's just um, understand that we have been invited by God in a personal way to really understand Him more, to walk close. The pressure is not on you. The invitation is given to you. And it's a very private thing. It's a very personal thing. That we would get to know God because we're told in verse 17 of Second Peter 3, You, therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, beware lest you fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the error of the wicked. Let's not stumble. Let's not become complacent in a time when things are so critical. But grow 
in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and forever. Amen. Let's pray together. God, thank you for your word today. And thank you, God, for the blessing of life that comes through you, Jesus. That you offer us this born-again life. Not a modified life where we clean our act up, but literally regenerated new life. Born of the Spirit. If you listen to this message or you hear and you're, you don't know that you're born again, if you wonder and, and you don't even want to verbalize it to people around you or you don't even want to publicly discuss it, don't, don't worry about that. Be more concerned about your relationship with God than the opinion of men. And you know you need forgiveness. If you haven't taken this first step, you know deep down that you're not perfect. You've sinned. You fulfill Scripture because you're one of the all who have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And as God revealed that personal reality to you, may you be deeply cut, deeply concerned. May you even cry out to him, God, I I need your forgiveness. I know I'm a sinner. Forgive me, God, for what I've done. Jesus, I, I believe that you are God. I believe you died for my sins. I believe only you can forgive me for you are God. And so I would ask for your forgiveness. Show me this new life your word speaks of. Lead me in this new life. As I put my faith in you, show me what this life is. God, may that be the petition and the cry of all of our hearts, not just those who made the first time request and are born again now, but all of us that know your presence, that you don't leave us nor forsake us. May we long for a deeper walk with you this holiday season and every season to be more and more aware of your grace and your love, and the hope that comes from you, Jesus. Thank you so much. May we grow in the grace and knowledge of you, O Jesus. To you be the glory, both now and forever. And everyone said, Amen. Amen.